Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? This is the second episode of our six MMA talk with me, your boy Noah Petrie. So I'm gonna be going over UFC 274, and my fucking god, was an amazing pay per view, man. That pay per view from top to bottom was amazing. The the early prelims were great. The prelims were fantastic. The main card, we're gonna get into that because half of it's good and half of it's bad. But all in all, honestly, I was I was I was happy with you know what what the UFC gave us, even though there were a few duds here and there. But all in all, I really can't complain. I have no reason to complain. It was a pretty good card. But what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be switching up. I'm going to be going ass up. So pause. But basically, what that means is I'm going to be talking about one of the prelim fights and the fights going forward, then starting off with the main event. Now, I'm only doing this because as far as notes-wise and me analyzing the fights because I watch everything a second time over, that's how I took the notes. So, bear with me. You're going to have to be going through uh, some of the prelim fights, uh, the fights on the main card going forward. Now, I'm only actually going to be talking about one prelim fight, and it was the Trinaldo roberts fight. So, trinaldo has been fighting for fucking ever, man. That dude is, what, 43 years old? Somewhere around there, 42, 43 but with the Roberts fight, he put on an incredible performance. Don't get me wrong. A great performance for Trinado. He had Roberts hurt multiple times during that fight. There's just one issue. There's one issue. And I can tell he has not the great, not the best fight IQ. Which is, when he had ro- he had Roberts rocked multiple times during the fight, every single time he had Roberts rocked, what did he do? <clears throat> he shot for a takedown. He went in for a takedown. Which... To me, I always can't stand seeing that because why are you doing that? You have your opponent rocked. You have your opponent on the hook. I mean, on the ropes. So why are you shooting for a takedown? Why are you trying to take it to the ground? He did it the first time. The first time he got Roberts rocked, tries to take him to the ground. Second time around, tries to shoot for a guillotine. Like, bro, why are you doing this? Why are we doing this? It doesn't make any sense. So that's, again, a credible performance. That was just the one little issue, one little tidbit that I would have given him advice for as far as to stop doing. But, dude, this is not him. So many fighters do this in the game right now. So many fighters, if they have their opponent hurt, would immediately shoot for grappling or shoot for a takedown. It doesn't make any sense. And you hear it for the commentating section as well. It doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing this? You know, you have to keep capitalizing on your opponent. Granted, you shouldn't be going in there and just swarming them too. Because you can get countered and you can gash yourself out if you don't put him away. But if you have him hurt, keep doing strategic shots. Do not take him to the ground and eventually be able to finish the fight. But either way, it was a decisive victory for him. Shout out to him. He won the fight. He's old as ever-loving shit. Still doing the goddamn thing. But that was the one little tidbit that I would have given. Now, I also want to get into the, the Tracy Cortez fight. So Cortez gets Gato, right? And I don't want to just go into it because Tracy Cortez is hot as ever-loving shit, right? Because she's, you know, she's arguably one of the most attractive women in MMA. Um, so I, not to go over any of that. We all know that shit. 
But what I want to go over is, of course, her wrestling is dominant. That's where her strong suit is. She grew up in that wrestling environment. And the, the reason why so many people are so high on Tracy is because, one, her wrestling is so dominant. Where wrestling is not that dominant of a specialty where we see in women's MMA as of now. And especially in the division that she's in, in flyweight. So she's undefeated in UFC and her wrestling is it's, it's, a, it's a sure thing. She's able to get you to the ground, you're going to be staying on the ground. Now, here's the thing. One, she did do an excellent job getting out of submissions. Galto was constantly threatening with submissions left and right, back and forth. She was able to get out of all of them without honestly any trouble or, or any concern. There was one time, I believe in the first round, where Galto was able to get her into a, a arm bar. And Tracy kind of hyperextended it the same way that John Jones did against Vitor. But she slammed Galto to the ground a couple of times and was able to get off. Uh, I kind of don't like when fighters do that for the fact that you're hyperextending your arm in a way. So you're you're injuring yourself there. You could drive it deeper if it doesn't work. If you try to you know bring it to the uh, bring him in the air and try to slam him on the ground. But besides that, she did an amazing job getting out of all of the constant submission threats from Gato. Now her boyfriend is Brian Ortega, who's a submission ace. So I would assume that's something that they train on the regular. When you have someone like that in your corner and honestly on your side. Um, your, your jujitsu is going to spike up and, you know, become far better very quickly. So, you know, as far as, as wrestling wise, and as far as jujitsu wise, ground game wise, she did an excellent job there. It's the striking that's an issue. She doesn't have good striking, man. She doesn't put combinations together. She, she just, she very much relies on that wrestling. And if she wants to be, you know, well-rounded and be able to compete against a champ and fight for the belt one day, you have to put together the striking. You have to put together the striking. So I think that's one thing that she definitely wants to work on. Granted, we didn't see it much in this fight because most of the fight was on the ground. But the few times that we saw the striking on the feet, it wasn't great, man. It was not great. It's something that she definitely needs to work on going forward if she wants to reach the upper echelons of the division. And as far as the Roy Val fight... Dude, that fight was, you know, over before it started for the most part. It ended up, it ended in that first round. And what was what was pretty surprising to me is the fact that he was able to get a guillotine submission. I've been saying this for a while. Guillotines don't really work in high-level MMA. It's not that it's a bad submission. It's a very good submission. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you were to... Look at all the guillotines that happen in MMA successfully that they tap their opponents with. Look at all the ones that didn't work. And of course, you could say that with other submissions, but here's why I'm saying this, right? I've seen this multiple times where a fighter will get another fighter in an extremely, extremely, extremely deep guillotine, and the other fighter is still able to get out. This happens all the time. Now, this doesn't happen with some other you know, submissions like arm bars, like triangles or whatever, but this typically tends to happen with guillotines. And usually someone is is jumping guillotine when someone's trying, when another opponent's trying to take them down or something along those lines for the most part. But dude, I see this time and time again, and it made me worry about, you know, is guillotine that effective in high level MMA? 
And for the most part, what I've seen, especially in a child in the championship caliber, man, it doesn't. It, it's kind of a waste of your time and, and a waste of your energy as far as draining out your arms to do it. But he was able to to get the finish through guillotine. It was actually pretty funny. He reversed the guillotine to get his opponent into a guillotine to tap him with it. So shout out to him. I believe in the MMA news and sphere is uh, Moreno and and Kaikawa France are going to be fighting for the interim belt. And uh, Roy Voss, he asked if he can be the backup for that fight. So that's a, I think that's a very smart move from the U. If it is true, I don't I, I haven't none of the real sources that I looked at clarified it. I've seen it in passing. I don't know if it's entirely true. But if it is, I think it's a smart move on the UFC. You have a Moreno who is, they were originally going to do the four fights straight as far as Moreno Figueredo, which no one was. I've been in, in my other mock episodes, I was talking about how I don't want to see that fight four times in a row. I don't want to see anyone fight four times in a row. But having an interim fight for Moreno, who is someone who is still beloved, and a lot of them argue that won that last fight. Against Kaikara France, who is a fresh opponent, it, it doesn't do you any harm, to be honest with you. If Kaikara France wins, then we have a fresh matchup. If Moreno wins, then it's a clearer case on why he should be fighting for the belt again, even though he technically lost. So, I like it. I, I, I like that idea. Now, I want to go into the main card now. I want to go into uh, Randy Ruboy Brown against Chaos Williams. Now, shout out to Randy Ruboy Brown for getting the W. He's from Queens. He fights out of Jamaica, Queens. I'm New York born and raised. I live in Queens. That's my boy. He's doing it for Queens. Shout out to him. Now, going into this fight, I was really, of course, you know, I'm a big fan of Randy, but I wanted to see development in Chaos because Chaos is a great potential fighter. He has legitimate knockout power, like legitimate knockout power. And we've seen this multiple times during that fight where Chaos doesn't land a clean shot, a clean flush shot, and was able to put Randy down. So he has literally legitimate knockout power. He has fairly good cardio as well. It's not terrible. It's not the best. He's still, you know, coming up and is still a, a fairly new fighter, but from what we've seen, it's promising. Now, here's the things that I did, he, he did very well. That first round... He mixed up his striking fairly well in that he doesn't just throw looping shots. He utilizes leg kicks very, very often, which I love to see that, especially when you're fighting opponent who is, as far as reach advantage-wise and uh, you know uh, height-wise, is that much more than you. I don't know how tall Chaos Williams is, but Randy Brown's, what, 6'3", 6'4"? He's easily the tallest dude in, in that division at 170. The fact that he can make 170 is insane, but... He was able to effectively throw those leg kicks, which I liked. And he did this, he did do some good, a fairly decent ground and pound work when he was able to drop Randy Brown again to the ground. Now, the issue arises in the second round and the third round, right? His issue, his main issue, one, he wasn't able to effectively close the distance. Which when you're fighting a guy that much taller than you, you cannot let that guy dictate the pace. You can if you're in a disadvantage reach wise and height wise, you can't let your opponent dictate the pace, because all he's gonna do is he could just parry off that jab. The length wise is there; he could just keep jabbing you to death, not really doing that much damage, but just keep jabbing you and touching you, frustrating you, and get you to the point where you can't effectively 
counter or throw your own offense or do anything, you know, as far as a significant strike goes. So he didn't do a good job of closing that distance. Every single time he tried to close the distance, he was throwing wild hooks. He was throwing wild hooks, which I don't like. There's a few times where he rushed in with wild hooks just because he was frustrated as far as how the fight was going and the distance between them. So I think he needs to do a better job at doing that. I would love to see if he can develop a grappling or wrestling game. If he was developing a grappling or wrestling game, now it's time to show it. Because clearly, as far as distance-wise and you're not maintaining the pace, you can't effectively close the distance, now would have been the time to use your grappling, to try to take your opponent down, to get him in the clinch, to make it a dirty fight, to make it uncomfortable. And he just wasn't able to do that. And another thing that I've noticed is overall fight IQ. Now, Randy Brown was doing something that normally we don't really see in MMA, which is the ducking and the rolling under punches. Now, the reason why we don't really see this in MMA is the fact that when you're able to throw knees and kicks, head kicks and knees and body kicks, rolling under punches can be very, very, very dangerous. But if done correctly, can be very effective. Randy Brown was doing it correctly. Randy Brown was doing it very effectively. Now, here was one thing that I noticed. Every time Randy Brown would duck, it would always be towards the right. Every single time it was towards the right, he would duck towards the right. Especially when he saw the chaos was winding up with that big right hand, duck towards the right. What chaos should have done, and I'm surprised that his corner didn't see this watching it, because I, I saw it right away. And I'm not, you know, a coach or anything like that. So if I'm able to see it right away and your guy's not able to see it right away, there's an issue. So as I was watching, I noticed that he's constantly ducking towards the right, especially when in the threat of that right hand. What Chaos should have done was fake the right hand, then hit Randy Brown with a, a left high kick. That's what should have happened. That's what I have liked to see. That's what I think that would have worked. Or fake the right, throw a left uppercut. But it, it was happening time and time again throughout the fight, but I, I didn't see anyone noticing or his corner really realizing but shout out to Randy Brown a solid victory on his part Chaos Williams only lost to Freira and and uh what's his name what's his I mean Prayer and Randy Brown I would like to see Chaos fight Friario I think I pronounced his name right the Portuguese dude who was on the prelims he's currently coming off of two knockout wins he fought back to back lately I, I think that's a good matchup both guys are fairly new in their careers and their development. Um, they both have knockout power. They're both are going to go for it. It makes an entertaining fight. Both of them are, you know, I wouldn't say established fighters, but the people are, you know, casual MMA fans, especially the hardcores, know who they are. I think it will be a good co-main event or the th a third fight in the uh, in a fight night. You can possibly even make it the fight night headline. I wouldn't mind that, to be honest with you. A five-round fight between those two dudes, I really wouldn't mind. Granted, I think it'll be a little early, but if you have a dud of a card, you could easily do main event or even a, a fight night main event. But I'm going to go be going over Chandler versus Ferguson now. Now, I, if you listen to the first episode that I had before, right? This is what I had. I had Charles Oliveira winning by Vernega Choke in the fourth round. Granted, he got in the first. I wasn't expecting that, but he did get the rear naked choke, which I predicted. 
I had Chandler either winning by unanimous decision or second round KO. I said he's either going to win the decision or he's going to finish Tony in the second, which is exactly what happened. Ain't no one expecting how it was going to happen <laughs> like it did. And then I had Carlos Sparza by unanimous decision. We're going to be going over that later because that was, that's, that was something else. And, of course, I just went over the Oven State Proof fight and the Shogun fight. Honestly, I, I don't care for that fight at all. And it, there's no knock to either fighter. Both fighters are very good. Both fighters, I believe, are past their prime. I think both fighters should retire. Shogun most definitely should retire. Over St. Prue can hang around a little bit longer. Shogun, bro, you gotta hang it up. Over St. Prue can, can keep going, but Shogun, bro, you have to hang it up. You have to hang it up. You've been fighting for so long now. Literally, he's been fighting for over 20 years. It, it's time. It's time. You took way too much damage in your career. It's time. Please hang it up. You have a hell of a run. You deserve to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. You're one of the greatest fighters to ever do it. Your your run in pride was amazing and stuff of legends, but please, just retire. No one wants to see you fight anymore. Now, Over State Brew could continue to keep fighting. I, I don't I don't think he should for much longer. I'm happy that a Cerrone and Lozon fight got canceled. Both of them dudes need to retire too. Especially Cerrone. Cerrone, you're coming off of like a 7-8 fight losing streak. What are we doing, bro? What are we doing? You're hanging around way too... And he's been in wars. And he's been finished many, many, many times. He, We just have to, you have to put an end to it. You have to put an end to it. I would love to see him retire. Granted, I know everyone wants to go out with a win. But here's the thing. That's not in everyone's cards. You have to know when to walk away. And Cerrone should most definitely walk away. Again, amazing career. I'm honestly happy he didn't fight tonight. I don't want to see him fight anymore. Joe Laws has been fighting fucking forever. I don't want to see him fight anymore either. The UFC staff, it has to be a point where these guys, you know they're taking so much damage, so much punishment, and have been in the game for so long. When to tell them to stop. When to release them from the contract and let them go elsewhere. It, but... And of course, you want to use certain names. You want to use older names to build up these young fighters. But it, within reason, granted, look at Arlovsky. Arlovsky is still doing, he's been fighting forever too, but he's on a win streak and he's still winning. And he's still putting, putting out good performances. So you can keep using him. Granted, I think Arlovsky should retire soon too, but you can keep using him in that light. When you have someone like Cerrone who is constantly just taking damage every single fight, getting finished every single fight, and who's on a seven-fight losing streak, it doesn't make sense to keep feeding him to young wolves so that they can just build a name off a fighter who really shouldn't even be fighting anymore. And, of course, Joe Lozon is not a young wolf, but please, let's just have him retire. Granted, I just went on a, a quick rant as to some of these older fighters retiring, but I, I just would felt, wouldn't have felt right addressing it going over their fights when they were on the main card. So going back to Chandler... And Ferguson. Now Tony actually had an amazing first round. Tony had Tony that first round looked like oh Tony. That's exact. Tony in that first round gave us such a nostalgic feeling because we that was a Tony we know and love. And I have a group chat with my friends. We're all watching the fight. I'm like, dude, this is the Tony we know and love. That first round. He did an amazing first round. He was able to drop Chandler. Granted, when Chandler gets dropped, you really shouldn't have to you know you shouldn't pay too much into it because he gets dropped often the same thing with Oliveira. 
when Oliveira gets dropped, you shouldn't really play too much into it because he also gets dropped often. So Chandler got dropped in that first round. Tanner was doing, I mean, Tony was doing really effective striking. I thought he got the better of their striking exchanges. Chandler was able to do a nasty <laughs> double leg takedown. The thing was was uh, very aggressive. Got him to the ground, able to utilize some ground to pound. Tony did what Tony does best, which is elbows from the bottom. The fact that he can able he can cut someone and do that much damage from elbows from the bottom is crazy. So Chandler didn't really do too much ground and pound or anything that significant to hurt Tony in that first round. So I would say definitely the round belonged to Tony. Going into that second man, that that kick came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that kick. Straight down the middle, hit him flat on the chin, knocked Tony out. Tony was out for a while. Tony was out for minutes on end. Chandler, can you fucking do any more backflips, bro? The man did like nine backflips in a row. After two or three, stop flipping. Like, we get it, bro. Your, your fucking opponent is knocked out like six feet away from you, still unconscious, stiff as a board, and you're over here flipping like a fucking gymnast nonstop. Like, all right, we get it. We get it, bro. You can do flips. We get it. So, knocks him out. He calls out Conor McGregor. Honestly... I think that's a smart fight to make. I, as far as how it goes, I, I don't really know for say who would win, who would not win, because of course, Connor has some chin issues there. Connor's coming off a leg break, but then again, Connor has power in those hands. I think he has better striking than Chandler, and Chandler does get hit very often. But then again, you have Chandler who has great wrestling. We knew that's Connor's weakness, so I don't know how that fight would go. Here's one thing though. I don't want to see it at 170. Why it doesn't make it it doesn't do anything at 170. We don't see anything from it at 170. We don't know anything from it for 170. If they're going to book it, cool, I guess, but I'd rather it be at 155. And I know Connor was saying how, you know, he's 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 currently liking how he feels up there in that weight in that, you know, weight class. I know it will be harder for him to cut weight because of the injury too. So that's probably a big factor that's playing into it. But if they're going to book that fight, which I think they should, please, we should do it at 155. But I want to go over to Calder and Rose fight. That fight is the worst fight I ever saw in my entire life. I've been watching MMA for 17 years. That is the worst fight. A lot of people say Anasanya and Romero or Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis. Bro, that fight was worse than both of those two fights combined. Literally, not one significant strike was thrown in two rounds. In 10 minutes, not one significant strike was thrown. That's fucking insane. That is fucking insane. That's insane. There, there, there was nothing to judge in that fight. That was my issue. They get A lot of people were claiming robbery for Rose or Carl deserved to win. or uh, uh, Most people were saying robbery in Rose's behalf. Bro, we got robbed. <laughs> we got robbed. You know who got robbed there? The fans. The motherfuckers who paid $75 for that shit. We got robbed. Rose didn't get robbed. We got robbed. I paid money to see that. And it was fucking trash. That shit was garbage. And of course, listen, it's a lot easier said than done. When you're in the octagon and you're facing your opponent, especially on Rose's behalf, when you're fighting someone who stylistically you know is a nightmare, who has beaten you in the past, you're going to be overly cautious. I understand that. I get that. That being said, you have to throw some offense. Adesanya did the same thing. 
Adesanya was overly cautious from Romero's power, but what he do, he still threw offense. He still threw leg kicks. He still, you know, did some striking, but he mostly just won off leg kicks. Bro, he still threw offense. It was a boring fight, but he still definitively threw offense. Rose didn't do that. She didn't do that. Carla didn't do it either. I'm going to be straight with you. She didn't do it either. I'm not defending her at all. But no one should have won that fight, man. There was no clear winner in that fight. Everyone was a loser in that fight. Carla was a loser. Rose was a loser. I was a motherfucking loser. Dana White was a loser. The UFC was a loser. Everyone in their corners are losers for, for doing that fight camp for them. The fans were losers there. We all lost. Everyone lost there. That fight should have easily been draw. I can't definitively say who won that fight because nothing fucking happened in that fight. It should have been a draw. It should have been a draw. They should have got bashed for it. Dana White should have dragged him through the mud for it. And for that fight afterwards, it probably would have been a little more competitive. Now, that being said, I know for a fact Dana White is never going to want to book that fight ever again. I know he's never going to want to book that fight ever again. Just how bad this one fight was. Granted, I know for I know if they fought again, it wouldn't be like that. This is really a, a rare happenstance. But listen, it, he's, that, I don't think that fight's ever going to happen again, man. I don't want to see that fight. I want to see Rose fight someone else. I want to see Carla fight someone else. I, I just don't want to see it. It was a terrible fight. No one should have won that fight. And here's the thing. Rose's corner, usually Whitman and his team gets good advice. Bro, what the fuck happened? What the fuck happened? That was not good corner advice. They kept telling her to play it cautious, to feel it out. Listen, for the first round, you have to do that. You have to do it. You have to play it cautious. You have to feel it out. Maybe even the second round, you play it cautious, you feel it out. You don't feel it out and play cautious for four or five rounds. You don't do it for four or five rounds. And we've seen that in the last round because she won the last round because she was able to, to blitz and have some offense there. But, bro, it, it was a terrible fight. There's really no excuse for it. I don't want to see either lady defending it. It was just a bad fight. I, I, I wasn't happy about it, to be honest with you. I don't ever want to see it again. Now I'm going to be getting to the Justin Gaethje fight and Charles Oliveira fight, right? I'm going to be going over the scale stuff later, at, literally right after this fight. But I just want to go over the fight itself. So, of course, I said Charlie was going to win rear naked choke. Now, how I thought he would get the rear naked choke was either jumping guard which I saw that's what he did, but Gaethje wasn't going to play that nonsense and got right back up. Or he was able to rock Gaethje of some sorts, climb the back, and get it that way. He completely dropped Gaethje. Gaethje was in... Before before Charlie even sunk the rear naked choke, Gaethje was in extreme trouble because Gaethje was on the floor basically about to be out. But for the most part, Charles' game plan was excellent. He had an amazing game plan. I said it before in my last episode. When it comes to phone booth fighting, there's no one better in that division than Charles Oliveira. He's one of the best fighters in MMA when it comes to phone booth fighting. The in-your-face, in-the-clinch, middle-of-the-octagon, close quarters, two feet away fighting, no one does it better than Charles, Charles Oliveira. He switches up attacks. He'll hit a knee. He'll hit a kick. He'll hit you with elbows. He'll hit you with straight punches, uppercuts, jabs, hooks. He completely switches it up every single time amazing ways able to accomplish in that fighting stance and when it comes to Gaethje's natural fighting stance he's going to excel at a, a longer range he's going to want to utilize those legs very often which Charles did an amazing job checking them 
Gaethje did land a few, but Charles didn't seem phased by it, and he checked most. Gaethje religiously only throws hooks, wide looping hooks. He needs to... Gaethje's... What Gaethje... I would like to see Gaethje develop is throwing combinations. He only throws hooks. He only throws hooks. This is his game plan. He throws leg kicks at a distance, and as you get closer, he'll start to throw the looping hooks. I would love for him to throw body shots. I would love for him to throw jabs. I would love for him to throw combinations. There are certain times where he would throw an uppercut, but that's basically his game plan there. And granted, it worked for as long as it's been working now, but you can always better and improve. But Gaethje dropped Oliveira twice. Oliveira did rock him in the very beginning of the fight, but Gaethje dropped him twice. Again, as I said before earlier in this podcast, when it comes to Oliveira getting dropped, you shouldn't be scared. You really shouldn't be worried about it too much. He's like Volkanovski and he's like Kobe. Those three dudes, they get dropped, I would say often, at least once a fight, and they get up and outperform better than they did before prior to when they got dropped. So I think Gaethje did a smart move not pursuing him on the ground after he got dropped, but Oliveira was able to get back up. He didn't really seem wobbled or anything as he got back up both of the times we got dropped. Use effective striking. Use that phone boost striking. Here's another thing I thought he did very good. Gaethje also ducks to the right often as far as throwing that wide left hook or when he wants to roll under punches. He's always ducking toward the right. And what Oliveira would do is he would notice it and throw a left uppercut. And that left uppercut landed a few times. It landed a couple of good times. I thought he did an amazing job reading that right off the bat. But... Oliveira dropped him with the, I believe it was a, a right hand, then was able to sink in the rear naked choke, and it was done. Once I saw the rear naked choke in, this fight's over. So Oliveira is definitely the best fighter at 155. My personal opinion, no one at 155 right now beats him. I don't see Islam beating him. I'm going to go through that when the time comes. I personally don't see Islam beating him. I don't see anyone in that top 10, that top 15. Or in that whole division that can beat him. Now Volkanovski moves up weight to 155. Then we have an interesting fight. Then the things get dicey. But as far as everyone at 155 right now, no one beats Oliveira. No one. Not one person. He's the best in that division right now. And he is a true champ. Even though technically he doesn't have the belt. But we know who the champ is and it's Charles Oliveira. And I want to get into the Bellator card really quickly. I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch it that that Friday when it was airing. Bro, you have Czech Congo, who is 46 years old, against Ryan Bader, Bader and Yuero Romero fighting fuckface, some dude I've never heard of in my entire life. Bro, I'm 26 years old that lives in New York City. You think I'm going to sacrifice my Friday night to see that shitty-ass card? You're out of your fucking mind. That card was ass. Listen... Czech Congo, what he was able to accomplish is amazing. And that he was kind of written out and counted out after he left the UFC. He's currently 46 years old. Old as literally my dad's age. Old as ever-loving shit. Sorry, dad. But, and still fought, and just fought for a title that was, I mean, a, a title and a prominent promotion against Ryan Bader. So... Everyone, everyone, their mother suspected Ryan Bader to win. I thought Bader would have won easier. He kind of had to grind it out a little bit. 
But, dude, that, that fight wasn't exciting, man. I wasn't going to sit home on a Friday night to watch that fight. I'm going to be honest with you. There's really not much to go over in it as well. Bader grinded it out to get the victory. And for the Romero fight, it was, it was that fight was a little more entertaining because Romero was really putting the hurting on him. Like, really, really starting to beat the shit out of him in that round. And he was able to put him away. But everyone's expected your Romero to, to win that fight as well. Here's what I do want to comment on, though. Now, for that fight, right? For that fight, Yoel, I mean, for Yoel's career in general, for Yoel's career in general in Bellator as of right now, they're doing a fucking terrible job promoting him. At first, they did a good job because he was just coming off that on Nasanya lost. Some people thought he won the fight. Some people thought, you know, he's still a very high caliber fighter, championship level fighter. He went over to Bellator. There was a lot of hype him fighting Rumble Johnson. That fell through. But after that, they haven't done a good job promoting him. Granted, it's a little hard to promote him now than it was back then because, of course, of course the time has passed. Yoel is getting older. He's up there in age. He's in his 40s. And that loss to Phil Davis. But when you have someone with the name value of Yoel Romero... And people don't even know that he's fighting that weekend when people would, you know, pay 75 bucks, 70 bucks to watch him fight easily on pay-per-views in UFC. You have a bad marketing problem. And I went over this before. I've talked about this before. Bellator's issue is their marketing. Whoever's in charge of marketing needs to fucking get a foot up their ass and out the door because they're doing a terrible job at it. You need to market your fighters better. You need to market these fights better. You have to do a better job of promoting. UFC is obviously the UFC is the best promotion in the world, right? UFC is a better promotion than Bellator. And of course, a lot of people would say because the UFC is has more high caliber fighters in Bellator. True, very true. But what the UFC is fair UFC is, is substantially better at than Bellator is a actual game of promoting. UFC can literally take shit and make it look like gold to the casual fans. They can take bullshit and feed it to casual fans and they'll eat it up. Good example of this. Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone. Donald Cerrone was going off a fight-fight losing streak. And you have people who are giving Donald Cerrone a chance and, you know, rating off his credentials and this, this, and that. Bro, every hardcore fan knew Donald Cerrone was going to get the shit beat out of him. No offense to Don Cerrone, but every hardcore fan knew that. We all knew that going forward into the fight. But still, the, the casual fans like, oh, the what if. So they paid for that fight. I think it was fucking $100 too or some shit like that. I don't really remember. This is years ago. But they paid the price for it to watch Connor finish him in 26 seconds. Granted, I expect Cerrone get finished in 26 seconds. But either way, they paid to watch that fight when we knew what the outcome was going to be. That fight should have never been the main event. It was never a good fight to begin with. But the UFC is so good at promoting that they can literally feed you, as Nate, as uh, the Diaz brothers would say, wolf tickets and the fucking casual fans would buy it. Bellator has a hard time doing that. They can't even do that. They had the most anticipated, the second most anticipated fight ever, AJ McKee against Pitbull 2. And no one talked about it. There was no buzz in the MMA community about it. Even amongst hardcores for the most part. No one was giddy about it. No one was excited about it. We didn't really see it. Maybe they lacked the manpower to do it. Maybe they lacked the finances to do it. But either way, it, it's de- 
it seems that their main issue right now is not their product, is not their fighters, it's promoting and marketing. That's their main issue. But I want, that was a little side tangent there, but I want to get into MMA news slash drama. So for those of you who don't really understand or know about the, the scale thing and what happened there, okay, so this is, let me give you a quick breakdown. So for fights, right, of course you have to make weight. So if you're fighting at the 155 pound division, you have to make 155 pounds. So if you're fighting at the 155 pound division, you have to make 155 pounds, right? Now, if it's a regular fight, non-championship fight, you have a two-pound allowance. So you can fight at, you know, 156, 156.5, 156.9, and you're good. You're good money. You can still fight. Now, for championship fights, you have to make the weight on the dot. So if you're a champion at 155, or you're fighting for the 155-pound bout, you have to make that 155. You have to make it. In order for that belt to be on the line, you have to fight. You have to make it at 155. You have to do it, which I think is kind of dumb. I think it's kind of dumb. I think we should give that two-pound allowance in general for for regular fights, for championship fights. Now, Oliveira came in at 155.5. So in most people's eyes, it's like, yo, homeboy made the weight. He weighs 155, 155 and a half. Like, what's the big deal? It's just that silly rule set of you have to be at that champion. You have to be in that weight directly in order to, for it to be a, a championship fight. If Oliveira came in at 155.1, still the same shit. It's dumb. It should be at least if you're within that pound. If you're in that 155 pound, you should be good money. Because you're technically still within that 155 pound. I just, I just think it's dumb. I think it's something we should definitely change going forward. I don't like it. But basically, when that happened, the belt was no longer on the line, so they stripped Oliveira. So Oliveira couldn't, they stripped Oliveira. So if Gaethje would have won, Gaethje could have won the belt because it was vacated and he made weight. Oliveira won, and since he didn't make it, he didn't make weight, he couldn't win the belt. So that's what happened there. Now, is it really that big of a deal? Not necessarily. Technically, it wouldn't go down as a tile defense, even though we know it's a tile defense. It's kind of like that issue with DC and John Jones too, right? John Jones knocked out DC that second fight, but because of the picograms and everything else, it got over. It got overturned to a no contest. But we know what happened. We know John Jones knocked the fuck out DC. Knocked DC the fuck out. We know that happened. Even if it's no contest, bro, we know. We know. Stop. We know. So it's the same thing. People will be like, oh, he didn't defend his belt. I'm like, bro, we know. He defended that fucking belt. He's still a champion. That's when everyone's saying, yo, he's still the champ. So that's the reason why they did it. I don't agree with it. Either way, Charles Rivera is obviously fighting for the belt next. There's no way you can give anyone else other than Oliveira the title shot. No way. Literally no way. It will be fucking promotional malpractice to do so. So he is fighting for the belt next. And it would be against, he called out Conor McGregor. Again, Conor McGregor saying he likes to stay at 170, etc., etc. I don't want to see Conor McGregor get a title shot because he's coming off of fucking three losses in that division. So I think we should definitely give it to Islam. I think Islam deserves it. And I think that should be the fight to make next. 
And now I'm going to get into the next topic of conversation, which is Khabib wants Islam and Oliveira for the Abu Dhabi card in September. So he was saying, you know, he's making a case. Of course, Islam is boy for Oliveira to, to fight him for the belt. He says it's in Abu Dhabi. September, which would be past. I'm not really, I'm not knowledgeable about Islamic traditions. Ramadan, I believe. I'm not really sure. But, yo, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're Muslim, sorry, bro. I don't really know about your, your, your religion that much. But I think it's Ramadan that happens in the summer or something along those lines. So usually any Muslim fighters would not fight during that time period because making weight and everything will be extremely tough and training. So they usually fight after. So Islam be fighting him at, this is what Khabib wants, in September in Abu Dhabi. He makes a case for it. I think it's a fight to make. I don't think Islam is going to win that fight, but I will, that's, we'll talk about that when the time comes. Another big thing that happened during this, this past weekend was DC makes it to the MMA Hall of Fame. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. DC is one of the top 10 greatest fighters of all time, in my opinion. I don't think he makes the top five. My top five, not in order, John Jones, GSP, Anderson Silva, Khabib, Mighty Mouse. Those are my top five. And then you have other people in that list, like DC, like, uh, what's his name, Fedor, and the list just goes on and on. I think DC's in the top 10. I think he rightfully so deserves to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. It's a no-brainer. People like DC deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. He's a two—he's a you know two-time Olympian. Even though that doesn't really mean shit in MMA as far as you know credentials and, and getting to the Hall of Fame that kind of stuff because that's not within the sport. But just listening off his achievements, two-time Olympian. He's a, a double champ. He won the belt at light heavyweight, defended it, won the heavyweight, defended it. Which is extremely, extremely, extremely rare. His only losses were to John Jones, greatest of all time, and Stephen Miocic, the greatest heavyweight of all time. So no harm done there. He won the belt in Strike Force, which is a rival promotion to the UFC. Honestly, the UFC's biggest rival ever before the UFC bought him out. So he 100% deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. People like DC, fighters like DC, deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. So shout out to DC. You're one of my fighter, favorite fighters ever. I thoroughly enjoyed watching your fights, and I think you rightfully so deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And then we have Strong Strickland blast Kyla Harrison for struggling with opponent. And basically, I believe Kyla Harrison, I don't really follow the PFL. I'm going to be entirely honest with you. I really don't like the structure of it. I don't like, I don't like leagues. I, this is why I only watch combat sports. I don't like leagues, bro. I don't like watching leagues, and, and, and the PFL kind of does it that way. I'm just not a fan. So, Sean Strickland blast Kyla Harrison, because Kyla Harrison, I believe, was fighting a, a ex-Sambo champion, and she, she, I wouldn't say she struggled, but she kind of had to, like, grind out the victory in a way. And basically, Sean Strickland is blasting her because, you know, that's why she's not in the UFC. You know, she talks all this talk, and she's struggling against no-name opponents, which I'm going to be honest with you. I I think her last opponent is probably one of her her strongest opponents to date because she's an ex Sambo champion and that's you know that typically translates very 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 well to MMA even though that woman had virtually no MMA experience. But here's the thing: I agree with Strong Strickland, man. 
I mean, I don't think that she's not UFC caliber. She's definitely UFC caliber. She could definitely compete with the best in UFC. I think she can beat a lot of the best in the UFC. But here's the thing. I don't want to hear about your career. I don't care about your career. I don't care about your fights because you're not fighting anyone noteworthy. And granted, you can only fight the people that your promotion can put in front of you. So that's kind of a promotional issue as well. But here's the thing. She talks a lot now and, you know, she calls out a bunch of fighters and shit like that. I'm like, dude, I don't care about your career. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care about following your career. I don't care about you winning. I don't care about you losing. Until you fight the best or until you start to fight in these bigger promotions. Like if she would start to fighting in one, I'll take it more seriously. She started fighting in Ryzen, probably take it more seriously. She started fighting in Bellator, I'll take it more seriously. She started fighting in UFC, obviously I'm going to take you more seriously. But until then, I'm not going to take you seriously because you're not fighting anyone of caliber. You're not. You're just not. And again, you can only fight who your promotion is giving in front of you. But I can't get excited or really talk about how good you are when we really haven't seen you fight. We haven't seen you fight anyone noteworthy. So we don't really truly know how good you are. Granted, you know, they always say the first line of defense is she's a, a two-time um, judo gold medalist. And, like, she's the only American to win the gold medal twice in judo, male or female. Dude, shout out to her. And she's built, bro. She's more jacked than me. She's way more jacked than me and most people that I know. But at the end of the day, man, I've, I really I can't care about your career when you're not fighting the best. So I kind of agree on Sean Strickland there. Now, another thing I want to go over too is, granted, I'm never going to talk about boxing in this podcast. This will probably be the only time ever I'll talk about boxing in this podcast. And it's because something monumental just happened. And it's more so how people are reacting to the, the monumental instance that happened than the actual occurrence of what happened, if that makes sense. It'll start to make sense as I go over it. But... I'm never going to talk about MMA in this podcast. Not, I mean, not going to talk about boxing in this podcast. Excuse me, is not because I don't like boxing. I think boxing is a great for, sport. I enjoy watching boxing from time to time. I'm honestly up to date with a lot of who the champions are, who they fighting, who are the people who are noteworthy in the divisions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Canelo just lost to Bivol, um, Dimitri Bivol. Canal and here's the thing Canelo losing is monumental right because Canelo was the number one pound for pound king for a long time for a very long time he was the number one pound for pound king and when a king loses it's it's something that's monumental right that's like John Jones losing like it's something that's monumental within that sport now what I was shocked at was how many people were saying oh Canelo was always overrated he was always overrated. He was never that good. You know, Floyd was right, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And here's the thing, right? Here's the, here's my beef with boxing. My beef with boxing is you have a bunch of fighters, a bunch of champions who refuse to fight each other, who only want to take bullshit mandatory fights to make money, literally. All they want to do is take these mandatory fights to make money. That's all they want to do. No one wants to fight each other in this day and age. No one. Especially in the lighter divisions. And the heavier divisions, you see it a little bit more like in heavyweight. But in these lighter divisions, dude, 
in these lighter divisions, there are so many names, so many good fighters. I'm not going to even begin naming any of them. But there are so many amazing boxers in these lighter divisions, and none of them are fighting each other because of political bullshit between each other. Literally. It's a straight-up refusal to fight each other. What Canelo was doing was unifying weight belts and divisions. He was conquering divisions. He wasn't just getting one belt going up, getting another belt going up. He would go. He would get all four belts in the weight division, go up, get all four, go up, get all four. He was doing it time and time and time again. He went up weight divisions, I believe, what, six times? Six, seven times? Somewhere around there. Could be wrong. I know it was definitely six or more. Dude, the dude went up weight classes six times. Granted, weight classes in boxing is not like MMA. Weight classes in boxes is like every five pounds. But still, six times five, bro, you're going up a lot of weight. Fighting people you shouldn't be fighting. Canelo shouldn't have been fighting Bivol at all. He shouldn't have been fighting him. Canelo is way too small for that division. We have weight classes for a reason. As good as Canelo was, I don't think that was Canelo's best performance either. But as good as he is, bro, we have weight classes for a reason. As good as Khabib is, that's like Khabib jumping up 30 pounds to fight someone. Who is 30 pounds? 30 pounds, he's basically what? Fighting, he's fighting at middleweight. As like Khabib fighting on Asanya and Khabib getting beat. Bro, he just went up 30 pounds. Like, what do you expect? We have weight class for a fucking reason. So the fact that he was jumping up weight classes, unifying whole divisional belts, and people were saying, yo, he's overrated. Are you insane? The dude was fighting the best of the best. He was literally going up and fighting the best of the best in the sport. He wasn't ducking from no one. He wanted all the smoke. He was fighting the he was fighting the, the, the best of his generation. That's what he was doing. He was f- conquering them all. And yeah, he lost and it's a setback. I don't think he should be fighting this division anymore. I think he should go back down, defend those belts. There's a few fighters he haven't beaten in those divisions that he should defend the belt against that I think he's a favorite over and would beat. But bro, you can't knock Canelo for doing what he was doing. The man was in the, he was pursuing greatness. He was pursuing greatness. He was building a legacy. He wasn't just trying to be a bullshit champion, defend his belts against a random fucking fodder, and just get paid. Because that's the issue with boxing now. Bro, he was defending his belts. He was getting his belts against the best. Against the best. You can't knock him for that. In an era where this shit doesn't happen anymore, you have to give him his respect. You have to give him his props. In my eyes, he's still the, the number one pound for pound. And here's the thing. He went up in weight to fight Bivol. Bivol is the best champion in that division. Hands down. Bivol is the best champion in that division. So he didn't go up to fight a, a weaker champion in that division to get the belt there. He went up and fought the best in that division. Bro, n- nothing but props to him. And that, and I was honestly shocked at how many boxing fans were just shitting on Canelo right after he lost. I'm like, bro, your sport is literally dying. Your sport, literally, no one wants to fight each other. And the one dude who's going up and fighting everyone, you guys are shitting on? Like, th- obviously, there's an issue in boxing that's beyond just, you know, a whole bunch of, like, politics and promotions and that kind of shit. So, that I, I was just, there's something that I wanted to touch on that honestly shocked me for the most part. And I was just shocked at how many people were shitting on Canelo, to be honest with you. Demands a, a living legend. So I'm going to get into the 
fights for next week, which is John Blockwitz against Radic. Um, Ratic. Uh, I always pronounce his name wrong. So I call this this segment uh, Petri Predictions, where I predict who would win these fights and why. I'm not going to go over every single fight in that fight card. There's a lot of good ones, man. There's a lot of good ones. That whole that fight night fight card next week is the best one we've seen in a while. These last fight nights have been ass. I'm not going to lie to you. This fight night coming up, you should definitely watch it. A lot of big names on there. A lot of great fighters, a lot of great fights are scheduled. I'm praying none of them fall through. Every That fight card is stacked. I really like that fight card. I'm only going to get into two for the sake of timing, which is, of course, the main event, which is Blackwoods against Raddick. Now, this fight is... Whoever wins this fight fights for the title next. That's basically how it's positioned, right? Now, Raddick is a very, very, very good fighter. He's a great striker. He does get into he he a lot of his wins are by unanimous decision so he grinds them out right he he's they're all grinding wins they're decisive wins but they're all grinding wins he hasn't fought past three rounds this would be his first five round fight on top of that his strongest opponent to date would be john blockwoods now not to say radic fought scrubs he definitely didn't he beat anthony he beat anthony smith pretty easily he beat Thiago Santos, granted, that fight was extremely close. That fight was extremely, extremely, extremely close. And this was, this was, you know, Thiago Santos fresh back from the injuries. And he hasn't been the same since fighting John Jones because, you know, the broken legs and the torn knees and that kind of shit. I'm not going to get into all the man's injuries because it's fucking astounding. But he hasn't fought anyone i would say of the caliber of blockwoods yes you can say santos but he didn't fight the santos that santos that that blockwoods fought let's be real here he fought a different santos he fought an injured santos a santos who would never truly recover recover from those injuries and it was still a very close fight now to my knowledge i haven't really seen radix takedown defense i haven't seen it so I do think as far as overall fight IQ, Blockowitz was a champion for a reason. He has that championship poise. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't hyperextend himself. He doesn't, um, you know, he has that championship. He was champion, defending champion is Anasanya for a reason. So I do think that's going to prevail in this fight. I think for the most part, it would be a standing up fight. I think Radic would be... Throwing a hell of a lot of leg kicks, I think he'll be, I'm not necessarily afraid of his power, but very, you know, wary of Blockowitz's power. I think if, I think the correct game plan for Blockowitz is, of course, start the fight standing, see how it goes, see how it's progressing. And if he starts to get tagged up by Radic, to get Radic to the ground. That's what I think he should do. I think he would have to have the same game plan in Anasanya. is to get Radic to the ground in the middle of the octagon. I think that's what should be preferred. Again, it's a super close fight. I I almost didn't want to even, you know, try to do a prediction for this fight because it's so close. But I give it to Blockowitz. If I had to pick someone, I would give it to Blockowitz. But you shouldn't bet in this fight because it's that close. And then we have Kayla Jukagan against Amanda Reboss. I'll be real with you. I love me some Amanda Reboss. I love me some Amanda Reboss. I love Amanda Reboss. Not gonna lie to you. Obviously, she's a pretty girl. I'm a fucking sucker for a bubbly personality. If a girl has a bubbly personality, 
It's a wrap. Uh, I'm, I'm going to fall. It is what it is. I'm going to melt. So as much as I love Reboss, right? She's a very good fighter outside of just her looks too. So as, as much as I love Reboss, I think it's a terrible stylistic matchup for her. I think Caitlyn Jukagan doesn't have power, but her striking is far better than Reboss, and she's far taller and bigger than Reboss. I see Reboss getting pieced up for three rounds. I think Caitlyn will just piece Reboss up at a distance. But front kicks, front kicks to the body, leg kicks, head kicks, and most importantly, that jab. I just see Caitlyn Jukagan just hitting Reboss with a literally endless amount of volume. That's what I see going on in this fight. I'm going to be honest with you. These are the only two fights I'm going to go over for the sake of timing. But guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, as I said before in the first episode, these episodes will be dropping every single Monday morning. So make sure to tune in Monday mornings for these episodes. And I hope you have a great day, guys. Bye.